sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee. Today's guest on the Tales of Tennessee podcast feels like a kindred spirit. She's an equestrian lover whose passion for country music and music in general has seen her become immersed in a career of championing the talents and careers of UK country music artists at home and away. She is, of course, Lara Goodfellow, BCMA director and founder of Sonnet Music. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So I have an inkling you're a very busy lady. Can you tell us a little bit, give us a bit of a summary about your job at the moment and your daily routine? Ooh, yeah, it's um, extremely busy, uh, which I'm, I'm very grateful for, actually, because obviously a lot of people in our, in, in, in our industry over the last year um, have lost a lot of work. Um, so the bulk of what we do at Sonnet is, is now marketing um i say that more generally we started off as, as very much digital marketing and management which sort of 10 years ago and it's actually my 10 year anniversary was was last month so it it feels like we've been doing it for a while now um so it, originally i was sort of digital marketing focused so i used to build bespoke myspace pages for artists and then manage them at the same time to sort of try and do, you know, the promotion online in the early days as well as the management. And that developed obviously into sort of full-blown digital marketing and management with a little bit of what was then online PR in terms of just a couple of random blogs that had popped up online that mm. people were writing about music. And obviously now it's changed significantly and we do a, a, a much wider sort of press service Um within the sort of overall marketing service we provide. So lots of online publications, a few print publications, obviously a radio service as well, um, as some digital marketing strategy, and then for certain individuals, also a little bit of management. So it's it's quite full on. How did you get involved in music in the first place? Are you from a musical family? Um, to a certain extent. So not many people know this, but I do actually play the clarinet and the saxophone okay. to a grade eight standard. Um, the, uh, so, so I sort of grew up doing that and, and doing lots and lots of singing. I went to university and I actually studied English literature, um, but did loads and loads of drama on the, on the side and then applied to um, a couple of London drama schools and actually got into one of them. So I went to the Central School of Speech and Drama did my master's degree at a drama school um, with lots and lots of singing and dancing incorporated in that. That was in London and I was, I guess, 21 when I started that. And then my main focus was to become a recording artist. Uh, And I very quickly learned (laughs) that there were loads of people who were much better at singing than me and that... um, Actually, I was quite good at doing the sort of behind the scenes marketing and uh, sort of management side of things. So um, I started working with an independent record label, actually soul and R&B focused, so nothing to do with country music mm. at all, um, and did all of their day to day management for some fairly well recognised artists um, and uh, also worked in a recording studio doing all of the sort of basics to so learn the basics of sort of production, setting up equipment and mics and that sort of stuff. And um, and then it sort of went on from there. And I got to a stage where I just felt like I was spending a lot of time doing loads and loads of work for other people. Yeah. <laughs> and and there are certain things that I, I do, would have done, you know, completely differently myself. So I decided to start up on my own. 
Brilliant. Yeah. Well, that was my that was my next question. You know, what gave you the kickstart to to set up Sonnet and go? Okay, I'm going to do this this on my own. It, so it was literally just because you were essentially um, tired of people telling you to yeah. do it a certain way when it wasn't your your idea of the right way. Exactly. And I think and I think that it was a time of, there was a lot of change happening in the music industry. Um, and I and we're talking 10 years ago now. And I was sort of involved with a, a group of people who were very much in a sort of we were still pressing CDs, putting together physical sort of press packages and then taking them physically to record labels to try and sort of flog our artists yeah. you know to Sony or to Universal and all of it which was which was great experience and obviously I met loads of people who I still know who are now sort of right up the tree and in, in those organizations but I think that probably it was it was it was a time where actually the Lily Allens were coming through on MySpace and this whole new world was sort of evolving where people could discover music online rather than this sort of cd and printing out press releases and mail outs and all that sort of stuff which you know i i actually still do to a certain extent but i just felt like that i needed to move forward into that digital space mm. and the people that i were working with were, were still very traditional and 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 they had every right to be because obviously that's that's sort of where they'd come from um but i was at the time i was living in london I was working for this record label during the day, right, record label slash kind of management company. And then I was also working at night in a restaurant and all weekend in a restaurant to just try and make sure I met my rent and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And it, it all came, it just got to the point where I thought, actually, people were paying me quite good money to create these bespoke MySpace pages for them back in the day. I'm not a graphic designer or really even a coder, but I understood the basics about sort of the, the coding in those days. So I could sort of put it together quite nicely. Um, and I realized I didn't really need to be doing all of these different jobs for other people and could actually focus on what I was doing myself. It's, it's a bold move though, isn't it? When you are, you're so reliant and you're kind of in that little bit of a rut and you're like, you know, I must go and work in my restaurant because mm -hmm. I've got to pay the rent and I've got to do this and you know I'm going to fit in doing a MySpace page for that artist and mm -hmm. you're sort of in that that wheel and then it it is a it's a brave move to to step out of it and I think that's where a lot of people struggle I think is making that mm -hmm. first that first step um so were you still in London at the time or did yeah. you move out of London when you did I stayed, in, I stayed in London for about a year and then just realized um it was impossible and I have wonderful parents who actually said you know what you are welcome to come home at any point so I what I did and I was I guess 27 28 by that time and so it's, it's not the, the you know you don't ever imagine that you're going to move home to your parents house uh, after having spent you know 10 years in London or or you know on my own so I moved back to my mum and dad's which is obviously very weird but but amazing and yeah. that just took the financial pressure off me for a bit whilst I focused on sort of building the business side of things um, and really that's how I did it and so my parents are based in the Midlands obviously a, a, a way away from London so for a while there was lots of sort of trekking backwards and forwards on trains and I was younger then so I'd you know I'd do the early mornings and then I'd go to a gig and I'd get the last train home that got into back into the Midlands at sort of you know 1.30 in the morning and go home and sleep for a bit and then do the same thing the next day so um it was it was a, a really it, it was a difficult time in that I had to be quite focused and mm. you know have to really watch 
watch the um my timings and make sure I was investing enough into all of the different areas of the business to make sure it evolves but it yeah it sort of worked out yeah absolutely it did and when you're in in normal times at the moment or kind of pre-covid were you still going out to lots of gigs or has have you managed to kind of cut that down a little bit obviously you've got a young family I can imagine it's not particularly easy especially before um covid uh you know, came into force. I was at a stage with a really young family where I was quite happy to let some of my team <laughs> go to all of the late night gigs. And, you know, I, I think you do get to a stage where you are able to pick and choose. As much as I love live music, I am sort of done. I think I'm pretty done with the days where I'm staying in London until midnight and then trying to work out how to get home. Um, yeah. So anytime I do go down, you know, I, you know, make a bit more of a day of it and get a hotel and, you know, or if I'm going to a festival, then take the family and just make a bit more of a thing of it. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now recently there's been um, a lot of talk in the media about uh, women in the music industry and how mm. it's it's difficult. And obviously it's a predominantly mm. male industry. Has that been something that's been an issue for you over the years? Yeah, absolutely. And, and over the last couple of years, I think as well, with, with so much of this in the media, it's really, um, I, I've almost relived a lot of it. And I think certainly in the early years of me being on my own in London, trying to make it in the music industry, um, you know, the, the situations I found myself in um, were quite often very uncomfortable. Um, you, you know, the, the music industry is still predominantly driven by men Um, and and there are some amazing women who come up in all sectors publishing record labels live you know yourself um you're a great example of that actually but I think that generally speaking most people that I work with in the industry are men um and and the majority of them are amazing but I think I had to learn some quite difficult lessons about trust um and also about how I'm perceived within the industry it was really tough for people to take me seriously and you have to sort of battle it I think as a woman in the industry that you know how you present yourself is so important yeah if you come across as is and this is an awful thing to say but I think I learned the hard way that trying to sort of doll up and you know kind of fit into an industry that's very focused on image and looks actually for me I think was probably the wrong way to go because I wasn't taken seriously and it's it's a terrible thing to say Mm. um and I think now um even now we are there are a lot of battles for us to fight as women when it comes to equality when it comes to actually being able to stand up and say no Mm. yeah I, I agree and I think I mean I'm I've been very lucky and I've always worked with with great people and for the majority of my career doing events it was it's been myself and either myself leading that particular event or Mm. my my boss at the time leading the event and she was a woman as well and you just she would not take any mess from anybody Mm -hmm. and so she was actually she was a great role model um but I still find it difficult and it kind of goes against my grain I just want to be nice to everybody I want everyone to work together and I don't want any hassle and mm-hmm. and it's it is difficult and we had an incident with um some of the concessions and fairground people that were coming into the festival when we first put on Dixie Fields and they just absolutely ignored 
everything I said because I'm a woman and I'm, I, I was, you know, yeah. looked a lot younger than they did. Um, and we had one of the the guys that works on the farm there, lovely guy, does, thankfully did know what was going on, but they would automatically defer to him. And I'm thinking, hold on, this is, this is my event. I'm telling you where to go. Mm. And it's, it's very frustrating. And, and I don't know, perhaps it will get better with, with more education and younger people coming, coming mm. through, but it is, it is hard and you kind of think, oh, I, d- I don't know what else to do. How else do I approach this? Because I'm the one that's been in contact with them. I'm the one that's here on the ground. I'm mm. the one that's, you know, providing the site map or whatever it might be. And it's, it is difficult to see, like you say, how, how it's going to get better. I think I remember um, a few years ago now when I was out on the road with Jess and the Bandits when they were doing quite a lot. Mm. Um, we were in the middle of a tour and we ended up doing a festival and I can't remember for the life of me where it was. It, a country festival, quite a traditional one. Um, I don't think we've been invited back since probably because of what happened. <laughs> but, um, uh, so we'd been on the road, we were all in the splitter together, obviously the Jess, all of the guys, and we had a sound engineer who was traveling with us. And that was really just for the purposes of making sure that the sound was consistent in each venue. Um, so we went to this particular festival and the festival had hired um, a, a, a sound team, a production team. Um, and there was a guy up on, you know, up doing the sound for the other bands. So I went and introduced myself and explained who I was. I was managing the, the, the headlining bands and that we'd actually brought her in sound engineer, introduced Mark, the sound engineer to him. He just turned around and carried on. Um, and for about two hours, I went backwards and forwards to this, to this gentleman trying to explain, I appreciate all of the work that he's done to set mm-hmm. up, but our guy is going to be taking over for the band because we brought him with us. He's, you know, he's part yeah. of the team and he knows the sound. Absolutely refused to move. I mean, I'm talking about physically turned around, turned his back on me and refused to move out of the way. Um, and it, and it was really, really frustrating. And I, I at the time felt that if, if I'd been a male manager, mm. um, it wouldn't have been an issue. But yeah. it, he was older, um, clearly very experienced, which is great. And obviously, I'm sure he'd done a great job for the other artists that were on. But we pre-agreed that our sound engineer would be taking over. Now, whether he didn't get that message, you know, who knows. But it was just um, a sort of an example of how female managers particularly younger female managers were treat are treated mm. on the road and it's it is difficult because when it is so frustrating and you're trying everything you possibly can and they're still not taking any notice of you and you feel like jumping up and down and screaming and shouting but if you do that then you're just a hysterical woman and yeah, exactly. and you know they're not going to take any notice of you because you're jumping up and down and and screaming um yeah. like a banshee so it's um I, I think the other thing as well and um I'm sure there are loads of women in the industry who've experienced this but I found with uh, my daughter who's now uh, she's nearly two but I didn't tell anyone at all about my pregnancy uh, Mm. all the way through um, and only very few people once she was born because I knew for a fact that if I did I'd lose half my clients Um, um, which is which is awful and I I can sort of understand that the logic sort of well if she's having a baby then she's not going to have time to do the work but actually I had a, a, a really great team who was really established who was you know we'd put a plan in place that was going to cover any time that I had off which ended up being probably about three weeks <laughs> but um you know I had I sort of I pulled back for about three months whereas most people who have a baby have 
nine months to a year of maternity leave because I was terrified of of losing that sort of work um, just because I knew because I know what people are like in this industry and I, I've got lots and lots of colleagues who have had similar situations and I think that's another big hurdle we're going to have to cross as women in the industry who want to also be able to start families or have families at the same time as working so yeah. lots of things still to do and do you think the type of music plays any any role at all obviously you've you've worked in different different genres not just country music mm. you mean in in terms of how people people behave within those yes in yeah. those communities um I mean I I think one of the reasons that I really like well, I love working in the sort of country music community is because generally people are far more down to earth. And I think we're all in the same situation. It's a genre that we're trying to build up from, you know, from, from the bottom really in this country. And so there's, there, aren't, there isn't really anyone who's sort of, you know, miles ahead in terms of the success. Um, and I think because of that, we're all sort of supporting each other. And um, so, so I think within the country community, there's, there's less of those sorts of attitudes yeah until you sort of start talking to record labels and people like that where it all gets a little bit muddy I think but yeah I mean I but ultimately I think across the board the music industry has still has a lot of work to do yeah um, when it comes to women in the industry yeah we've made some great steps we've made some great steps yeah and touching sort of obviously on your your passion for country music you have sonnet the main the main company but you've kind of you've got sonic roots which is predominantly concentrating on country and americana and roots Mm. music yeah how and why did that you know have you actually branched off officially the way that it started uh, was jessica clemens who is the um lead singer of Jess and the Bandits um, and I have been working together for a very long time now in fact I, I don't guess but we probably I think we we met in 2010 um, and at that point she was a soul artist a yeah. pop soul artist because she's got a very soulful voice and the management company that she was under at the time were really pushing her in that direction um, and we worked together. I actually worked as her tour manager for um, the first year, which is when I met her. So we traveled a lot. We went, we were all over Europe doing a bit of the US and, and, and obviously all over the UK. And she was on tour with a, a band called The Stylistics, an old, a very well-known old soul band called The Stylistics. Yeah. So she was a support act. Um, and she and I were sort of talking about her career and how she'd like to see it progress. And she's obviously very sort of rooted in country music, but because it's so t- it's so normal at home, you know, for there to be country music playing, especially in the part of Texas that she's from, she never really considered that anyone outside of that area would be at all interested in and that style of music. And when we actually started talking about it, she started singing and playing me bits and bobs. I just said to her, I don't understand why you're not doing this kind of music. It just doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, and so we worked, we collaborated with one of my friends who's a radio plugger for Radio 2. And she was working with a brand new band called Ward Thomas. And she said, well, there's this guy in Nashville who's just done some work with Ward Thomas. Um, he is a great sort of country-focused songwriter. Jess should really go and work with him and see if we can put something together um and then so that's really how her career took a quite a significant direction change and moved back towards the country music that she sort of feels so comfortable with yeah. and I sort of went huh. 
this is quite cool. Um, and I suppose this was around 2011. Um, and I started sort of looking more into it. And I was working, obviously, with my friends who was who was sort of leading the way of Ward Thomas. And they were starting to get radio play on Radio 2. And the more I, the more I listened, the more I realised that actually most of the music I'd listened to as a child was probably influenced quite significantly by country. You know, I loved Sheryl Crow. I loved artists like that, but I hadn't really ever considered their roots and what you know their inspirations um and the more I worked with people in Nashville and understood just the amazing musicianship and and songwriting and everything else that that goes into this sort of the the sort of overall country Americana genre I realized that this this is what I've always loved and so it was a kind of a realization you're like oh that's that's why I like that type of music so much. And that's why actually I spent, you know, hours and hours when I was younger listening to these kinds of records. So, so that's really where it started. Um, and as we started working with Jess and the Bandits, then other bands approached us to sort of start working with them in a similar way. And it developed from there. And it got to a point where I did actually have to separate because as, as I'm sure you know, there are, um, you know, country music is, is quite a specific taste and there are lots of people that love it but there are also lots of people who don't really get it yeah. so within my team there were certain people who were like yes I love this this is what I've always listened to and there were some people who were like I listen to dance music and and it really isn't what I like so we sort of had to divide it up a little bit so myself and another colleague of mine who who's sort of always listened to country music worked on the root side of things and the other guys worked on the sort of other artists that were coming through that were much more sort of mainstream and that's really why I separated the two okay Um, yeah that makes that makes sense um and it is it is interesting though and and you touched on it a bit there that you just don't realize Mm. that the music that you've loved was country music and Mm you know my dad used to play John Denver and Glenn Campbell and yeah. and I loved Cheryl Crow um and it just didn't ever click that that was country music right and yeah. it was only really for me with the with Lady A when they when they started coming over here and I was like yes this is it mm. this is this is my music um and then I realized that actually there's this whole genre mm-hmm. that I've always loved that I didn't know that I loved um and uh, you know Shania Twain and yeah and, and Taylor Swift when we were a bit older and yeah it, it was almost revolutionary that this was actually a thing and um an acceptable thing at, at that and becoming more so as well and um, we actually on the radio show I present I did a bit of a song swap with one of the other presenters he presents a dance show on the Saturday night okay. um he is not into country music at all, but we did a bit of a song swap and, and he loved it. He was like, this is awesome. And I sent him some Blanco Brown and, um, Justin Timberlake, obviously mm-hmm. with Chris Stapleton. And he was like, this is awesome, Georgie. Why did I not know about this? And it is, it's always there in the background for people. I think a lot of people who like music and who enjoy mm-hmm. the melody and the lyrics and they just don't necessarily know that they're enjoying country music which is great, I think. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. And I, you know, I've got loads of friends who love Lady Antebellum or Bam Perry or, mm. you know, like you said, Shania Twain or Dolly Parton or, you know, all of some of the, the the great sort of older artists as well who just don't actually go, oh, but this is this is country music because people have this sort of preconceived idea that it's all sort of yee and swing your partners yeah. and, and that sort of stuff. So, 
yeah, it was an it was an eye opener for me actually, and and has been that way ever since. And I still keep discovering new things that I just never would have thought. But oh, so actually, that all stems from this, you know, country music genre in some respect. Yeah. Um, and working with Black Deer Festival, which I do um, into our our third year now, obviously, and they are more focused on the Americana side of things than they are the country. Yeah. What I found really interesting there because they've gone so deep into sort of the history and 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 the artists are so diverse within that kind of Americana genre. I've learned even more, um, you know, and it's just fascinating. Uh, so can you give us a, a kind of definition almost of the difference between country and Americana? I asked Mark Hagen and his short answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to try, but I, I might get this quite because because I think probably that it's because I don't think Americans um, also have the Americana music in America is not necessarily what we've sort of called it in this country. Mm. If that makes sense. So under the Americana umbrella, I think comes yes the tradition the traditional country sort of storytelling, more traditional country sounding instruments without the pop elements, um, as well as the sort of bluesy, folky, in some cases more rocky, focused sides of that. Um, so you've got some amazing sort of bluesy artists who who, who are sort of um, so combine that kind of bluesy, soulful sound with country elements that make it more Americana than just country, if that makes sense. Where I, I feel like country is... Um, there's a there's a certain twang I think certainly with a lot of the the older artists but also some of the newer artists there's a certain tone that's used vocally quite often uh very grounded in storytelling pop country has also become a, a thing and yes. I think pop country fits quite nicely into country but you'd never have pop country in Americana there'd mm. never be a sort it's of almost like country. a sliding scale isn't it so you sort yeah. of start off down the bottom and you've got roots and Americana and then it comes up and you're going through Americana and then you get to country and then you go sort of through country and out the other side and you've yeah. got pop country That's which is great it's a you know it's a really diverse genre and a um mm. You know, it's great that it does cover so many different things. Um, obviously, we've mentioned the fact that you don't live in London anymore. Do you think for somebody young who's trying to make it into the industry, they want to become, whether it's an artist or a um, music exec, do you think it is a hindrance if you don't live in London? Do you think they are, they still need to really kind of start from the bottom in a, in a city, not necessarily London, but Manchester or, or yeah. Glasgow or I wherever? I do. I do think it's a hindrance. I mean, I think certainly if you want to work in the music industry as a as a manager or, a, you know, within a label or something like that, the, there aren't the opportunities really outside London. Yes, there are a few mm. labels that are scattered around in some of the more kind of focused uh, cities. But, uh, but for a sort of career in the music industry, I think probably you have to be in London and you have to be across everything, every gig, every genre, every event. You need to make sure that, you know, and, and that really only happens for me in London. Yes, you know, Bristol, Manchester, Liverpool, um, you know, other cities, there are, there are some great scenes, but the core of the industry is in London. Um, as an artist, I mean, I feel like, and particularly in country, I suppose, but I feel like there are genres 
um, sorry, there are communities and bubbles and hubs sort of developing in a lot of the cities. You know, Manchester is a great example. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of live music in Bristol. Um, it, but I think ultimately, if I look at the artists I know who are sort of living a little bit more rurally, trying to make it in comparison to artists who are living in London or an equivalent, um, and not they're just not as visible yeah to be yeah. honest and, it, and 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 yeah so so I, I think probably yeah and do you think from the exec side of things do you see that changing obviously now we've had the pandemic and everyone's having to have been working from yeah. home do you think that would potentially open up more I think flexible working opportunities or what yeah happened? really interesting to see I mean obviously the majority of people who work for london-based labels or or management companies live in london anyway so whether they'll all end up getting back going back into offices or not i think for people like me who are living quite a way out um yeah i i mean i don't see myself taking back an office space it's mm. certainly not certainly not in the next six months to a year i mean we'll have to see how everything goes mm. this year and but um yeah i'm sure there are going to be some changes Mm. and do you think sort of the main benefit for being in London is because then you are more visible and you are turning up at all these gigs every every single night and that's that's it I mean for people looking for a career with you know as, as a as a music industry individual yeah you need to be on top of absolutely everything and there are people I mean I, I'm sure you know people sort of um, even within the country community, we're actually doing really well and just making sure that everything, doing everything. I mean, I'm sure you're contacted by them for the festival and various different things. But in the wider industry, and remember that the country community is a tiny, tiny part of the wider industry, really. Um, you need to be in front of people. Um, and you need to be pushing and pushing. And obviously, because, you know, my, my primary focus now is country. I don't, work so often on other events um so whereas previously we worked on events with UB40 and mm-hmm. Razorlight and Boyzone you know different genres mm-hmm. um but now my sole focus basically is country so it's very easy to get caught up in my little country bubble mm-hmm. in the whole great scheme of things is it growing as much as it appears to be growing in the UK do you think I don't think it's growing as quickly as we'd like mm-hmm. um, and um but it's definitely growing uh, there, there's so many different factors at play you know in order to really infiltrate that sort of mainstream market major record labels need to be signing these artists and at the moment they're not mm. um in order to have that sort of mainstream visibility they you know i mean and chris country and country hits are doing amazing things and and all of the other smaller stations i know that you're involved in as well but i think um if, if you look at War Thomas and the Shires as a model, um, as the sort of two most successful up and coming, well, established artists, I guess, on the scene, their success has been outside of the country community. Mm. It's been Radio 2 leads, TV leads, people who buy tickets to see their shows might not listen to any other country artists. I mean, you saw that at The Long Road, for example, mm. uh, where people... Uh, and I, and I know this just because it's so local to me. It's te- literally ten minutes down the road from me. There are people um, from all over the area who just went because they recognised those names and wanted yeah. a nice day out, rather than it being for a country festival. Yeah. I think 
the reason we're not seeing that growth is is, it's so difficult to get in that position where you're getting that support from radio two or from you know national tv and those sorts of things for most of these artists particularly if they're working on very limited budgets where they can't afford a radio plugger or a tv plugger or enough of a um I guess, a plot to be able to get them to that place. Mm. And I think that's the reason we're not seeing enough growth. It's because the, the genre is not visible enough mm. to the wider, uh, the wider music scene. I mean, things like country to country are great as, and that probably shows you, I mean, those are all of the country fans in the UK really coming together in one yeah. place. But, uh, yeah, I think that in order to really see growth, the country community sort of has to um, allow themselves to, because we're quite, it's, it's a tight community, isn't it? It's all yeah. sort of, everyone, it's quite niche and everyone knows everyone. And it's, you know, there are certain artists who've got certain core fan bases and certain festivals that the same people go to every year. In order to, to get beyond that, we have to really extend, you know, push, push these festivals, push these events, push these artists into the wider community. Mm. And I don't think we're doing that enough at the moment. So, you're obviously one of the directors of the of the BCMA, so you are very knowledgeable about UK country music um, as well as you know wider music. Hmm. Do you think we have? And I'm not asking you to name names or or point fingers or anything, but do you uh-huh. think that we have the quality of artists here in the UK that can that will be able to get that visibility given the right tools? Given the right tools. I think the, the the biggest issue for artists, and and there are some fantastic um, yeah. artists on the country music scene, is that it's very underfunded. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't the same opportunities for them in terms of publishing deals, in terms of you know even even brand and synchronize, synchronization deals where they're actually going to generate some income. There's none of that really, uh, and that's because I think of that you hear country and a lot of people go, oh, well, I'm not really sure about. Um, at the moment if you want my honest opinion it's about having the tools and 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 really also about having the funding because I think if these artists had access to Nashville's top musicians or you know great writers or great um, marketing teams or were able to run press campaigns and radio campaigns and Mm -hmm. digital campaigns that expanded outside of what they can do um it would make a massive difference. Yeah. I'd really love to do some sort of like almost a blind audition because I do think that we've got some, some really great UK Mm. country artists, but as soon as they say, Oh, I'm a country artist and I'm from the UK, it seems to switch a lot of people off Mm. when actually listening to the stuff that's coming from Nashville at the moment, Mm -hmm. I think some of them can hold their own with that with that mm-hmm. music that's coming over and I think they get unfairly tarnished because mm-hmm. they're from the UK mm-hmm. and I wish somehow we could do some sort of blind audition so the people that are listening don't know who they're listening to, yeah, listening to. Yeah. and then all of a sudden they're like oh wow okay so this is UK art this is UK country this is what we've got available mm-hmm. in the UK mm-hmm. I mean I don't know how you would how you would do it but one day one day I'll we'll try and get to it um I do, I do know what you mean and I think there's a certain allure about American artists that are doing country you know yeah. we we kind of want we we just automatically assume that they must be better because they're out of Nashville yes. or out of Texas or um and 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 
that is quite a difficult thing for UK artists to fight against, as you've said, because, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and I think with the greatest respect actually to the, to the, to the CMA, but I think that country to country, from what I understand, and this is me sort of guessing a bit too, so I could be completely wrong, but the reason they always build these American headlining acts is because there are no country artists that will sell them the same quantity of tickets. Yes. Um, but at the same time, that does nothing for UK country because no. the UK country artists are stuck on these sort of outdoor stages. And, you know, um, so we're almost kind of saying to the, to the wider country music fan base, well, you know, these guys are all right, but you really need to like wait until the evening and see the really good. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think you're right. And I think also, you know, a lot of their, the UK artists, and this might well be exactly the same with the smaller artists over in the States. I have absolutely no idea, but they don't seem to have a grasp on the level of production and, and mm-hmm. music that they should be putting out in order to get that visibility. So I think sometimes that works against yeah. the genre as a, as a whole. And as I say, it might be the different, it might be exactly the same over in the States, but because we do only have a small pool here mm-hmm. um, in comparison. It, it seems more of an mm-hmm. issue, but, you know, hopefully with increased funding and increased visibility over the years, then hopefully that will yeah. um, readdress itself. It's on the right track. I just think, as you said, we need to just keep looking for as many opportunities as possible to, to give these, the, the British artists um, a chance to really shine through. Yeah, absolutely. So, Nashville moving on to Nashville obviously with country music Americana and lots of R&B and and roots and soul music as well (laughs) Nashville is just an absolute hub of talent and experience and knowledge have you spent much time there over the years yeah um I I really have and I up until recently I I was going a couple of times a year Mm. if not more um yeah it's, it's one of my favorite places yeah, and what have been your experiences over there? What are the sort of main impressions when you first went? What what was kind of your first thought when you when you landed in Nashville? I think so. The first time that we went, obviously, had no idea. Um, and and up until this point, and I've, I've done a lot of recording with artists. I was used to a process where you sort of hired musicians and you hired a studio and you had the song and everyone listened to it in advance and made sure they they learned it and then over a period of sometimes four or five days the musicians came in and put down their their you know their parts and then did it again and did it again it was a sort of very slow and and quite methodical process and that's really the experience that I'd had with recording studios it's very expensive um you know because it took days and days to do it and all that sort of stuff so when I got to Nashville um the guy we were working with a guy called Jeff Cohen uh took us to a studio um called Beard Studios a guy called Larry Beard who's quite well known uh and um uh, and, and I was with Jess from Jess and the Bandits and this was before there were bandits so it was just Jess and she'd written these songs with Jeff Cohen and they were just iPhone recordings so we went into the studio I was a bit confused I was like right so the studio had been booked I think for three days um and we had six maybe six songs to track and I was like well I haven't sent any of the guys the music yet I'm a bit confused how this is gonna work these musicians all came in sat down (laughs) just pressed play on her iPhone and they listened to the first song once went straight into this into their individual sort of bits of the studio and laid down the first track and it took about maybe 
two and a half takes just to make sure they just tidied up little tweaks having listened to it once on an iphone recording you know just the rough kind of guitar and vocal that jess and jeff cohen had done um and put down a full a full track um and we're talking keys we're talking drums you know we're talking uh, in some cases fiddle um uh and i was just you know guitars i was just absolutely blown away so then they did six songs in three hours um, and in London, six songs would probably have taken a week to 10 days. <laughs> and awesome, I, yeah. I just kind of said, and that's no disrespect to, to British um, recording studios and musicians, by the way, because it's just a different yes. way of doing it. Yeah. But these guys, this is all they do day in, day out, day in, day out, playing with the greatest artists in Nashville to the, to the very sort of most brand new, like Jess, who'd never been there before. Um, and, you know, just sitting in a room and having, you know, done my time with my clarinet and saxophone, just listening to the musicianship of these guys was unbelievable. My mind was completely blown. Yeah. And so we had these six finished songs. Um, and obviously then they needed to be sort of mixed and produced and, and that sort of stuff. But that was my first experience of Nashville, like within the first couple of days of me being there. And it blew my mind. Yeah. And then obviously when you go... You know, we, we went out in the evenings and sort of experienced Music Row and um, experienced Broadway and all of those sorts of things. And then you kind of go into all of these bars and there are just musicians sitting, playing or bands performing that probably are, it, are the most amazing musicians you've ever heard in your life. And you just realise that the quality, the standards of, of musicianship over there is just so high and it, it just blew my mind and I just I was it was just an experience that I never forget and and I um I feel like that every time I go back depending on what I'm doing you know even down to the the way that record labels work there or the the way that promoters work there everyone's just got this amazing sort of drive and um you know it's just very exciting yeah and obviously not going into actual specifics cost-wise what's the cost for comparison between recording a song in Nashville and recording a song in London um I think that probably recording in Nashville um and having the best musicians work on on your product and having you know working in the best studios probably works out cheaper than doing uh and 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 Let's, let's just say, sort of for argument's sake, and there is, there is a bit of variety in this, but let's just say that sort of British musicians, 200 to 200 to 300 pounds a day, Nashville musicians, 200 to 300 dollars a day, makes it slightly cheaper anyway. But those Nashville musicians get six songs done in a day, whereas a lot of the British musicians would take a lot longer to do that same process. So therefore, if you work that out, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit cheaper to do it in natural. That that is just my experience, by the way. Yeah. You know. No, I think it's fascinating. I'd love to. I'd. Lo- I've never been to a recording studio or anything like that. I would love to go and watch watch a track being laid down, sort of from the from the word go. And mm. we've had little glimpses of it through, for example, the Amazon um, documentary. It all begins with a song, mm-hmm. which I absolutely loved. And I would just that's it's totally on my bucket list is to try and go to a recording studio and see. Mm-hmm these complete consummate professionals mm-hmm. at work so yeah absolutely on my bucket list there um where in Nashville would be your sort of best recommendations for people to go and to see uh, you know best venue or best place to eat Ooh, that's a difficult one 
Um, I mean, I suppose, obviously, if you're going to Nashville for the first time, you have to experience Broadway. Yes. I think. Um, and, and, you know, the venues along there, though very touristy, obviously, <clears throat> it's almost like telling someone from London to go and experience Oxford Street, I guess. But, um, you know, that's an experience, really. It's not like sort of walking into a, a bar and seeing a sort of mediocre performance. You're seeing some of the best musicians um, in the city playing um to eat are you a hot chicken fan yeah yeah why do you have a recommendation no 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 well I'm I always am put off by the words hot chicken because I'm not massively keen on spicy Ah. food so if I ever have a choice I tend to veer away from that which I'm going to next time I go back I'm going to make myself go to you know a Hattie B's or Uh, Golden's or something um there's a restaurant called I think it's called Biscuit Love um that I went to so I'm a massive southern food fan Jessica Clemens again um introduced me to that because when every time I went and stayed with her in Texas her parents would always cook sort of all of the traditional like biscuits and gravy and all of that stuff so probably my my place of choice would be biscuit love um and what and for breakfast or brunch where you go in and have a biscuit, um, biscuit and gravy and, and, you know, the eggs done and, and the, that kind of, kind of really streaky bacon that they can only do in America. Yeah. And have you been further afield in Tennessee? Have you traveled around outside Nashville much? Not a huge amount. I have to be honest. So, um, I'm looking forward to listening to your podcast and hearing a few people that have. Yeah. There's, um, there's been some good recommendations of, you know, people that love, hiking and camping and stuff and now I've just got such a wanderlust to disappear (laughs) off and go into the wilderness somewhere in Tennessee um so yeah looking forward to that okay so just to round off the the podcast do you have a top UK artist to watch and I don't necessarily mean top as in you think that they're absolutely the best but one that you have noticed recently that you think okay let's follow let's follow that person because I think they're going to be great I have recently done a little bit of work with an artist called Georgia Rose. Um, yeah. who, she's 17, uh, based just outside of Liverpool. I think, in fact, I think she goes to the Liverpool, um, gosh, what's it called? The Liverpool Performing Arts School. Um, she, uh, we did a little bit of work with her just in terms of press. Um, and I, from what I can understand and from a few of the bits and bobs that I've heard of music that she's been writing with various people out of Nashville, actually, and, and UK writers and producers, um, she's got a certain tone to her voice and uh, a writing um, skill that I think is really exciting. Mm. Um, I, re- I love... Uh, I love hearing people at the very beginning of their career, particularly she's 17. She's so young. She's got so much more to experience, but she's just got this absolute passion for country music. But I mean, uh, probably driven through a, a love for, for Taylor Swift as well. She sort of wants to be the one that brings country music to her age group. If yeah. That makes sense. So the sort of 17, 18, 19 year olds and in a, in a way that really appeals to them um and I think that's really important because as we've been discussing it's really about kind of widening the awareness of the genre yeah. um so she is definitely one to watch over the next couple of years I'm sure yeah. she's going to bloom there's there's loads actually yeah. I have to put together a little list um, and send it across to you because there's some really exciting talent coming up and what about an equivalent artist from the U.S.? 
Mm. potentially somebody you know who's a little bit underexposed in your opinion that's a tricky one um I have a lot of love for Logan Brill I feel like over here she didn't get the exposure that she really deserved I think she's a I saw her at country to country a couple of years ago on the sort of main stage um you know the entrance stage and just thought her performance you know forget vocal and stuff like that because they're all great but her performance was really something so I definitely say I don't know if she's one to watch because she's obviously been on the scene for a while but definitely someone that I I'd really like to see do more Um, but again there's so many (laughs) okay and final question what would be your favorite your go-to country road trip song my um husbands and I whenever we're on the road listen to Brothers Osborne yeah um, and his favorite song that we end up playing on repeat is it ain't my fault yeah brilliant song and, and that would probably be m- more so before we had our daughter because obviously it is quite loud and up. yeah it, you have to play it loud I think I don't think yeah. you can play that one um, rightly. and it's it, so we I was at Buckland Boots a couple of years ago and he was with me and we were waiting for the Wandering Hearts to come on. And I think whoever was on the decks um, DJing was uh, played that and the whole crowd went absolutely wild and started jumping around. And, and my husband was like, what is this? Um, <laughs> and ever since then, that's probably been our on repeat. We also um, listened to a lot of Zach Brown and another song would be um, Colder Weather. Yeah. So. Um, yeah those two probably yeah good um well thank you very much for that and what if people want to find out more about sonnet and about you and about what you do in your interests where can they where can they follow you or find you uh i so sonnetmusic.co.uk you can also all of our social media handles are sonnet music uk you should be able to find me quite easily there um i do have some personal social media which is all under Lara Lyrics, which is a story for another day. But yeah. if anyone wants to find me there, they're more than welcome. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Lara. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, you're welcome. It's been great. So in my post-production edits, to recap Lara's recommendations, this time they are fairly simple recommendations just to go down, enjoy Broadway, see all the venues that it has to offer. You'll be watching the best musicians that you can possibly want to see. And in terms of restaurants or where to eat, she loves going down to Biscuit Love um, for brunch or breakfast and getting some biscuits and streaky bacon and all of the yummy things that go with it. You have been listening to the Tales of Tennessee podcast with me, Georgie T. You can keep up to date with the podcast by following us at talesoftennessee.podbean.com or by following all of our social media channels for the Tennessee Fields Festival. The handle is at TNFieldsFest on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can also follow me, Georgie T, on Instagram at the underscore accidental underscore everything. We'd love to hear from you. So don't forget, you can email us at talesoftennessee at yahoo.com. And as always, thanks go to Francis and Archie Ween for providing the jingles for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee.